0: PodCastle, episode number 88, for January 26, 2010. Another End of the Empire, by Tim Pratt.
1: Welcome to PodCastle. I'm M.K. Hobson, and today's story is Another End of Empire, by Tim Pratt. The story is read by Cheyenne Wright, who is the colorist for the Hugo Award-winning comic series Girl Genius, and can often be heard lending his buttery man voice to short stories for PodCastle, Escape Pod, and Pseudopod. Now, if you're at all familiar with these constituents of the Escape Pod empire, then Tim Pratt needs no introduction as no fewer than 14 of his pieces have found their way onto these podcasts. So I probably don't need to mention that he lives in Oakland with his wife Heather Shaw and their son River, that he won a Hugo in 2006, and that his website is www.timpratt.org. But if I don't mention those things, he's liable to send a squadron of apocalypse monkeys after me, and, you know, better safe than sorry. Given that an involved biographical disquisition is not necessary, I would like to take the opportunity to point out what I love most about Tim's stories, and that's his ability to take the most fantastical elements and imbue them with comprehensive motivations, intense believability, and logical consistency. It's an accomplishment all too rare in most fiction, not to mention fantasy fiction, in which motivation, believability, and consistency generally lose out to the allures of improbable quests undertaken by randomly chosen farm boys, evil overlords who haven't got an ounce more political sense than a rabid badger, and ancient prophecies that make about as much sense as your average Microsoft tech manual. Today's story tackles the absurdities of all these fantasy standards with intelligence and delightful wry humor. Enjoy!
2: Another End of the Empire by Tim Pratt The Dark Lord Morgrash descended to his deepest basement, below the lower dungeons, below the magma reactors, below the well-warded and unquiet family crypts. He traveled down a spiraling path cut by a rockworm "'grown to enormous size by the excessive mining research and development division, "'and he brooded as he went. "'Visits with the sibyl of the Depths never ended well. "'Such consultations had heralded the end of his father's life, "'and his grandfather's, and his great-grandfather's, "'and even the ancient half-giant forebear who'd founded their rapacious lineage.' The old creature only brought ill tidings, but there were dire prophecies regarding the consequences of even easing her into a retirement, let alone killing her and dumping her in a slither pit somewhere. Morgrash bashed open the door, scattering the heaps of knick-knacks and souvenirs from conquered shores his ancestors had brought as gifts to the crone as if keeping her happy with trifles, might spare them her grim visions. He stepped over a pottery tortoise and a miniature hut woven of grasses, and knelt in the alcove where the Sibyl made her pronouncements. Greasy torches flickered into life, casting the room in long shadows. The blood-smeared curtain before him twitched aside, revealing darkness and the twin blue sparks of the Sibyl's eyes. "'You were summoned, and you came,' she rasped. "'Family lore said and in her youth she'd had a euphonious voice, "'which had made the dread pronouncements even worse to hear. "'The rasp was more fitting. "'I am here,' Morgrash said. "'Give me the bad news. "'A child dwells in the village of Misery Chin, "'in the mountain provinces to the east.
1: "'If
2: allowed to grow to manhood,' He will take over your empire, overthrow your ways and means, and send you from the halls of your palace forever. Morgrash relaxed. This was, at least, not an immediate threat. Not like the pronouncements of metastasized bone cancer she'd given his grandfather. He sighed. So I'm expected to send my fell ragers to the mountains. Raise the village. Leave no stone upon a stone. Enslave the women and kill all the younglings to stop this dire prophecy from coming to pass. It's what your father would have done. Yes, but I'm more modern than he was. Besides, we've seen this happen a thousand times. The attempt to stop the prophecy will make it come to pass, won't it? We'll think all the children are dead, but one will have been spirited away, or maybe he'll just be off in the woods gathering mushrooms. He'll be so traumatized by the destruction of all he holds dear that he'll vow to avenge his family and dedicate himself to my downfall, learning the subtle arts of the marsh witches and the blatant arts of axe craft, and in ten or fifteen years he'll have my head on a pike. Am I right? Maybe, she said. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Morgrass shook his head, clacking together the tiny skulls of pixie mages dangling from his braids. No, I'll find another way. The key here is... innovation. The Imperial Surveyors arrived in Misery-Tien, a village of subsistence farmers and foresters, whose women had a brisk sideline in making protective fetishes of hit or miss efficiency for the miners who labored over on the next ridge. The surveyors answered no questions, but proceeded to demolish the timbered central meeting hall. The villagers huddled in their hovels, waited for the inevitable deportation, drafting, or human sacrifice, all of which were known to occur regularly closer to the center of the empire. If the surveyors were here— That meant the Lord had some use for the village, and it probably wouldn't involve the inhabitants living there. Everyone had heard what happened over an ragged ledge not two decades past. Instead, the surveyors, and their fabrication wizards, built a beautiful, new, airy, dome-like meeting hall of a lightweight silver metal and sheets of something like glass that could be darkened or made transparent at a custodian's command. A man the surveyors claimed was Lord Morgrash himself, though this was patently absurd. He'd never travel all the way out here. He must be a lowly official in disguise, addressed the crowd at the dedication ceremony. This new community center is just the beginning of the changes I'm bringing to Misery Chin. Beginning with the name itself, this place will hereafter be known as Progress Village." have chosen your fair Hamlet as the new experimental model for the perfect imperial society, "'and we will be building schools of the practical, magical, and piratical arts, "'and providing job training for all.' "'The Urstaz Lord chuckled. (laughs) "'I see the worry on your faces, but fear not. "'None of the retraining is compulsory.' "'Apart from having homes that are better insulated and meals with something other than weevils for protein, "'your lives won't change unless you want them to. "'The old are set in their ways. "'I understand. "'The new advances are really meant for the children.' "'He grinned, and the people in the front row "'said his teeth were carved into tiny skulls. "'So perhaps it was the Lord himself. "'Attendance at school will of course be mandatory.' It's important for the children to learn. He waved a gauntleted fist towards the crowd of officials at his left. Address any questions or concerns to the overseers, but rest assured, I will be visiting from time to time to check in on the progress of the darling little ones. And thus began the Golden Age of Plenty in Progress Village. There were only thirty children in the village, Ranging in age from still suckling to fifteen, which was the Lord's cutoff age. Anyone over fifteen wasn't a child anymore, but someone with the rights and responsibilities of an adult, as even the sibyl conceded. And the girls can be dismissed since you let slip the he pronoun in your original prophecy. Morgrash mused. One of these fourteen boys will be my downfall then. I shall get to know them all wonderfully well. You could just kill them, the Sibyl grumbled. Nobody has any respect for tradition anymore. Yes, but we both know the executioner would go soft and bring me lamb hearts instead of the hearts of children to prove he'd done the deed. Even if I went in myself wielding my mighty trepanner, his enchanted battle pickaxe, there'd be some mistake. Or the boy would turn out to be a changeling with the real child living among the wood whimsies or something. No... Better to keep them all under my eyes. The probability witches say this approach is the best chance of neutralizing negative results. Probability witches, the Sibyl sneered. She did emerge from her alcove to have tea, and she looked remarkably good for a creature countless centuries old. Not a maiden, but not the crone he'd imagined either. As if you can tell the future with beads on strings and counting the chimes of bells and "'Tossing dice endlessly in the air. "'You need blood and guts to get the attention of the gods.' "'I prefer my gods inattentive,' Morgrash said. "'I'll bring you a jar of the local honey "'when I return from my next visit to the village. "'It's really quite good.' "'Things went well in Progress Village that first year. "'The people were prosperous, "'and having enough to eat and decent homes "'strangely made them work harder.' violating the premise of the motivation through privatisation on which most of the empire ran. Morgrash gradually rolled out similar model villages throughout the empire, focusing on the provinces where unrest was most common. He even made sure the slaves got enough to eat, and the need for extreme suppressions dropped by 70%. He had to put half the slaving corpse on indefinite leave, and sent most of the rest to clear the ancient discredited swamp deities out of the jungles. So far, the dire prophecy wasn't proving all that dire, though Morgrash imagined that would change when one of the clever children tried to put a dirk in his eye and steal his crown away. The oldest children graduated from an accelerated course in management and were sent off to cushy apprenticeships in the Imperial City, once the probability witches determined none of them were the prophesied threats. The logarithms used by the witches were slow but implacable, and the Dark Lord had no doubt they'd eventually home in on the specific threat. As the years passed, Morgrash spent more and more time visiting the village, usually without his retinue of monstrous bodyguards, as they made the locals nervous. And he even had a residence built there, only slightly grander than the mayor's house. Occasionally he would go to the school as a guest lecturer and teach classes on geography. He'd been everywhere. History he'd witnessed much of it, political science, he'd reinvented it, and mathematics, though his examples tended to involve numbers like troop strength and ration supplies. Eventually, the probability witches narrowed the suspects down to three children. Meth, a pale and moody boy of twelve, who enjoyed shooting birds from trees with a slingshot and excelled at anatomy. Xander, a studious ten-year-old with some wisp-folk blood in his heritage, to judge from his faintly luminous eyes and skills at gardening, and Khalil, a dark-complected child of eleven with a gaze that penetrated like acid-dripped arrows, who wanted to know everything. Morgrash spent weeks at a time in the village, running a special class consisting only of those three children, putting about the rumor that he was grooming them for positions high in the empire. He grew fond of all three children, Though Xander's pacifism was simultaneously irksome and reassuring, a boy who refused to learn the combative arts was unlikely to kill him true, but Morgash had trouble comprehending the mindset. Meff had a fondness for setting fires and vivisecting small animals, and some of the local semi sentients so Morgash tailored his curriculum to the destructive arts and the empirical sciences, while Khalil devoured history and statecraft books insatiably. One day, in a round-table seminar, as they were discussing the social experiment of Progress Village and its sister settlements, Khalil cleared his throat. (laughs) After careful consideration, my lord, I have a proposal. You should immediately abolish slavery. What? Morgrash bellowed. That's madness! Slavery is the backbone of our economy! Ah, but, my lord, if you look over these figures, he said, pulling out a slate and making rapid chalk marks... You'll see that if you simply pay them low wages, institute a company store, and offer loans with, say, 20% interest compounded annually, you'll give your slaves freedom, something many of them clamor for, save wear and tear from whipping, while still retaining them in the workforce, and even making a profit from the usury. Morgresh pondered. His family had gotten their starts as slavers, but times changed, didn't they? He sent Khalil's proposal to the empirical accountants. The theoretical accountants would have rejected it out of hand, and was only slightly surprised when they found the projections sound. Mulgrash abolished slavery, retasked the overseers as floor, mine, and site managers, and set up an account for Khalil to receive a fraction of a percentage of the interest from the company stores as a reward. Before the boy was fifteen, he was richer than many of Mulgrash's underlords. You might have told me I couldn't have children. Morgrash was drunk, leaning against a wall in the Sibyl's chambers, gulping from a jug of imported, fermented wool beast milk. I married fifteen wives before my personal physician dared to suggest the trouble might be mine. He held his face in his hands and wept. The Sibyl sniffed from her shadows. "'I foresaw that giving you more bad news would make you fill in the passage to my cavern with concrete.' "'This will be the doom of the Empire, not your prophecy. I have no successor.' "'Fool,' the Sibyl said almost fondly, "'as if you've never heard of adoption.' "'Meth, Khalil, and Xander were all from poor families.' and their parents were happy to let the Dark Lord adopt their sons. Not that they would have said anything if they disapproved. Morgrash told the boys they were moving to the Imperial City. Khalil barely looked up from his figures, just nodding briefly. Xander asked excitedly if the gardens were as grand as everyone said, and Meth asked how old you had to be to start pit fighting. Morgrash, to his surprise, enjoyed answering their questions, and extolling the many virtues of the city that bore his name. And even Khalil seemed interested by the time the troop Convoy Drake landed on leathery wings to bear them away. The probability witches hit an impasse. Even after a year living in the palace, with the boys studying their passions, with the greatest tutors and accesses to the greatest libraries in the world, they couldn't tell which one was the prophesied threat. Morgresh went to visit the sibyl. "'for the first time since embarrassing himself by crying in her presence. "'Why can't they figure it out?' he demanded. "'Which of my sons will betray me?' "'Hard to say,' she said. "'I see several paths. "'It's possible that this is a dynamic destiny, "'that it could be any of them. "'Kill two of them, and whichever one remains will be your undoing.' "'Your continued comfort.' "'and your collection of trinkets depend on my largesse,' "'he said, putting on his most threatening countenance, "'which had sent barbarian chieftains "'and effete overseas ambassadors alike "'into paroxysms of trousers-soaking terror. "'You will give me guidance.' "'Make sure none of them have any reason to do you ill,' "'she said.' just exactly what you've been doing. It won't neutralize the prophecy, but it may continue to push back the moment of betrayal until a point after you've died in some other less destiny-entangled way. It's the best I can do, my lord. Fine, he said, glowering. I'll keep making their dreams come true. The boys grew up. Xander spent almost all his time among the floating gardens and fell in love with a wisp woman, which seemed somewhat inevitable in retrospect. Meth trained with the most dangerous members of the slavering corps, and by all accounts held his own admirably well. When he wasn't studying the martial arts, he was in the basement with the automatists, delving into the secrets of life and death, and when he wasn't doing that— He was breaking the hearts of beautiful young men in the duelist's quarter. Khalil sat in with different magisters, surveyors, and advisors, learning the ins and outs of empire management. Always near Morgash's right hand, Khalil had made many good, practical contributions to running the empire. There were progress villages all over now, running different social experiments in parallel, with positive techniques exported empire-wide. Though the Dark Lord preferred the company of Meth, and they often went hunting and whoring, albeit in different wings to the brothels, together. When the boys attained their manhood and majority, the time came to give them all formal posts. Morgrash went to the sibyl again, pacing in her chamber and pondering the possibilities. "'Meth seems the most likely to attempt a coup. He hungers for conquest!' I fear he may be the one who turns on me. You haven't conquered the entire world, the Sibyl said. Give him something to do. Morgrash called Meff to his war chamber. How would you like to sail across the sea and conquer the jewel-rich lands of Lokulpul? It's a long journey, and there may be no coming back soon. "'as the barrier leviathans only sink below the waves "'and open a passage every few years.' "'They have strange martial arts there, don't they?' Mef said. "'I've heard they can make a man's testicles recede permanently "'just by poking two fingers into a nerve cluster.' "'He flexed his hands experimentally. "'I wouldn't mind learning that.' "'Conquer them, and they'll teach you whatever you like.' And I'll make you governor-general of any lands you take. Meth embraced him. I'll pack my bags. Take Trepana, Morgrash said, tears threatening to rise for the second time in a decade. I hear the skulls in Lokulpool are thick. And what of Xander? I can see him turning on me, too. He disapproves of the ravages of the Empire. "'He's already pushed me to stop strip-mining, replant forests, "'release the wisp from the ancient bindings. "'He won't attack me directly, but he might poison me, "'or send deadly venomous insects against me, "'or have his girlfriend attempt to possess me.' "'There hasn't been a life-tree in the Empire. "'Since your great-great-grandfather's day,' the Sibyl remarked. "'Morgrash called Xander to his rooftop garden.' and among the fragrant carnivorous plants, embraced him. "'My son, in the central plains, before my ancestors charred out the tree-dwelling natives, there was a sacred tree, and the whole of the plains were lush. Perhaps some seedling yet remains among the ashes. Would you be the equal of finding such a thing, and tending it to health?' "'I think it must be the work I was meant for, father.' Xander said, eyes shining more than usual. Morgrash had no family heirloom to give him. But he gave Xander's wisp-form lover full citizenship status as a going-away present. And Khalil, Khalil, Khalil. He is so full of... ideas. Alas, the sibyl said, I have no ideas about what to offer him. Morgrash called Khalil to his throne room. My son, would you like to be a diplomat? Head of the Secret Intelligence Services? Tell me your desire. I wish only to implement the vision of the better empire you introduced with Progress Village, father. Kallil's voice was full of reverent respect. Your great experiments are glorious things. I only instituted the programs to keep you and your brothers from killing me, Morgrash thought. But he nodded prime minister then we've never had one but i think you'd fit the job is there anything i can offer you as a gift for making an old man proud only sufficient funding father he said and morgrash had to smile and so morgrash ruled though in practice kaliel did most of the ruling And after a few years of relative boredom, Morgrash gave Khalil his proxy and visited Mef in the ruins of the Lokulpulian capital, where they got drunk together and pissed on the floor of the senate singing bawdy songs. They harrowed the contested areas for a while, which Morgrash found more exhausting than he remembered, until the barrier leviathans opened another passage, and Morgrash said his farewells and returned home. When he got back to the imperial city, three years later, things were running more smoothly than ever. Khalil had granted all the Whistform people citizenship, banished the demonic engines below the Spiral Mountains, and replaced them with coal-fired plants, and instituted other, even vaster reforms. I apologize, father, he said at their first meeting. I knew my projections were sound, and that these changes would lead to greater prosperity, but I was afraid you wouldn't agree if I proposed them while you were here. Uh, Forgive me. Morgrash considered splitting Khalil's skull for the presumption, but he couldn't ignore the results. The Empire was richer than ever. I gave you my proxy, Morgrash said. You are my son. Khalil's way was not the family way, but perhaps unbelievably it was better. He visited the Sibyl, who had not aged a day while he was gone. It's the succession, I fear, he said, having brooded over the subject during the long sea voyage. Brother against brother, the Empire thrown into chaos. All my work undone. Mef's warlike tendencies, Xander's gradually expanding zone of peace and green in the centre of the Empire. Khalil's philosophical underpinnings. They're bound to collide. So talk to them, the Sibyl said. Unlike every man of Line Morgrash before them, "'Your sons are good at talking,' she paused. "'Except Meth. But he'll manage.' With the help of his witches, he called up images of Meth and Xander from their distant locales, and sat with Khalil in the throne room. "'I will not rule forever, and I do not wish to see my sons kill one another.' "'Oh, we've worked that all out,' Xander said. "'I don't want to run the empire. I'm happy with my trees.' ''We've got two new seedlings this week.'' ''Those precious little killing to do back home!'' Meff said, raising his voice to be heard of the sounds of battle behind him. ''I'm content here, where there are still frontiers. Let Khalil run things there.'' ''This is so... civilized!'' Morgrass said, unsure whether to be proud or disturbed.'' ''I will rule only with your blessing, father,'' Khalil said. ''You have it, of course!'' "'Kelliel cleared his throat. "'When do you think you might want to, uh... "'retire, father?' "'Retire? "'No Lord Mulgrash has ever retired. "'We've always ended in blood and glory. "'Or at least blood.' "'Well,' Kelliel said, "'I respect the precedent, but... "'Do you want to end that way, father?' "'None of us wish you pain.' I don't know what I want anymore, Morgrash said, and went away to think on it for a while. I was so sure I'd die in battle, the former Dark Lord said, sitting on the stone floor in the cold bleakness of the Sibyl's chamber. Or at least be assassinated, or possessed by a bodiless horror from the hell world next door, something more traditional. Instead, this peaceful regime change, and no more slavery, no more strip mines, no more necromantic factories fueled by human suffering. I thought I was modern, but Khalil, great-grandfather, must be twirling in his crypt. I have heard rather more noise than usual from up there, the sibyl said. What will you do now, Sirid? He hadn't heard his given name in decades, and rather liked the sound of it. Khalil says I'm welcome to stay here. He loves me, the beast, but I'd feel useless. All these years, I thought I'd outsmarted you, found a way around your prophecy, but you were right. That child did take my empire away from me. He did overthrow my ways and means. And he will indeed see me leave these halls behind forever. Wherever you go. I don't know. I thought of going to the provinces, raising an army of snake men and omniphages, and trying to overthrow Khalil. Just to keep myself occupied. But the Empire is better under his leadership. And I think I'm too old to lead monster men. And the worst of it is... "'I don't even mind being sidelined.' "'I understand.' "'I'm leaving, too,' the civil said. "'Morgrash blinked. "'You've been down here since this place was just a crack in the earth.' "'Yes, but I can see the future. "'In glimpses. "'And in those glimpses, I'm no longer consulted. "'Khalil doesn't need me. "'He has probability witches and the surveying corps and ten-year plans.' My time is done. And you know, I have all these souvenirs from the world beyond, but I haven't been anywhere. I was thinking of going to one of the little islands in the Lambian Sea, where you can hear the chanting of the dead sailors under the waves and watch the witch lights in the water each evening. I think I might have come from there originally. You don't remember? I see the future, betimes, but the past is mostly lost to me. Morgrash felt his hand creep across the floor, almost of its own volition, and touched the Sibyl's long, delicate fingers.
1: I've always liked
2: the islands. A simple house among the palms. It sounds... pleasant. It will be, the Sibyl said, entwining her fingers with his.
0: Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the story. One thing I like about this one is being reminded that beneath the surface of every evil overlord, there's a gooey caramel center. I was beginning to think that, at best, they only went all Mechanical Bambi and Where's Padme on us. But I particularly like how this one took the evil overlord archetype and completely and playfully deconstructed it. Speaking of deconstructing things, let's spend some time deciphering the secret messages left in static and spilled ice cream and do some feedback for PodCastle episode 80, Jessica Lee's Superhero Girl, the story about a lover who was either a victim of diabolical supervillainy or cancer. I guess in the end it's the same thing. What you really need to know about people's reactions to this one is that there was a big debate regarding whether this story was fantasy or not. Some, like Scattercat, were just bummed out. There's very little room to interpret this story as being about a real superheroine. Nothing at all occurs that requires any other explanation than cancer and a light-hearted excuse for her physical ailments. Kibitzer disagreed. Not the glowing eyebrows, for instance? What this discussion says to me is there's plenty of room for any interpretation you want. I myself tend to lean toward the superhero explanation, probably because I'd so like it to be true. It's fair to say the cancer is a more accessible and logical explanation, but it certainly doesn't preclude the other. And listener said, The discussion about whether or not she really was a superhero is what makes the story good, because you never really know. Maybe the narrator was delusional from caffeine pills and grief and just heard his phone ring in his head. Or maybe she really was a superhero and hadn't died of cancer. Sometimes ambiguity can be really poorly done, and sometimes it can be perfect. Finally, Hobart Floyd pointed to my new favorite definition of fantasy, clip from Neil Gaiman himself. All fiction is fantasy. It's not true. It's made up. We take that as a given and move on. So with that in mind, I hope everyone enjoys next week's episode of An Oldie But a Goodie from J.D. Salinger. There's a fantasy for you. To be honest, I think it's kind of cool that Lee's story had such an even divide on the fantasy-reality debate. There's actually an interview she did with Fantasy Magazine about writing the story, which I encourage you all to check out. It's linked to it at our forum. And since we're talking about diabolical deeds in our forum, I'd like to mention Diabolical Plots, a web scene about genre writing. One of the columnists there recently did a marathon through the Podcastle backlog and compiled a list of his top ten favorite Podcastle episodes. You can see what he picked, or let us know what your favorite Podcastles have been over at forum.escapeartist.net. While you're at it, why don't you swing on over to Diabolical Plots, where you can find interviews with escape artists such as Nancy Cress and Cat Rambo. That's all we have for you this time. Tune in next week when Anne Lecky takes the driver's seat as our guest editor for the month of February. Until then, keep in mind that there's a sensitive side to even the most evil overlords, and we'll catch you next time.
1: And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site.
0: Benjamin Franklin said, A great empire, like a great cake, is most easily diminished at the edges.